it just really feels like you know there's always a greater or more like just form of perfection to be reached whenever i uh i play the champion so yeah the damage the the kiting the the playmaking this the setup the control like yeah that all just was encompassed in victory Welcome to Challenger Insights, where we dive into the minds of the best League of Legends players to figure out how they think about the game. I'm your host, Lucas, and today I'm joined by Zane Prodigy. He's a Grandmaster Victor one-trick. He's reached 298 LP on the NA leaderboard, and he's the number one Victor in NA. He's also played collegiately for ULOL for both the B team and the A team. Before we get started, we're hosting a Q&A with Zane on the Challenger Insights Discord. If you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out, it'll be happening today at 5 p.m. Central Time. The link for the Discord will be in the show notes. If you're listening to this later and you missed out, be sure to join the Discord to be notified of future episodes and events like these. Zane, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, it was a pleasure to meet you and uh, be part of the overall experience as well, Lucas. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So tell me, what is it about Victor that drew you to the champion? Well, I mean, generally, I, I think I've had an overall fondness for like mages and assassins, simply because like I feel like they both had playmaking potential. But Victor in particular, although every champion was, you know, is obviously designed uniquely, I really felt like, you know, he stood apart and really established a strong identity for himself. and. As far as like playing him and whatnot, it just really feels like, you know, there's always a greater or more like just form of perfection to be reached whenever I uh, I play the champion. So, yeah, for me, that's that's pretty much what really drew me to the champion. And uh, yeah, the damage, the the kiting, the the playmaking, the, the setup, the control, like, yeah, that all just was encompassed in victory. Okay, awesome. Yeah, you, you do say that he's unique. Um, when I think about Victor, I have a bit of a hard time naming like an archetype that he really falls into. What champion would you say is similar to him? Like what kind of things that you learn on one champion would maybe translate well to playing Victor? Oh, man. I mean, there's some subtleties. I mean, I know there's things like Rumble's ulti that uh, it's, it's identical to how you cast Victor's E. There are, I guess, things like Ori or, uh, or Syndra that you can kind of find a little bit of like, you know, some you know identical little things uh, within them or embedded in them. Uh, some of them have changed over time, obviously with the adjustments they they've made to Victor. But like Victor's W used to pull people towards its center, so that was kind of like you know very similar to how uh, Oriana Shockwave would work in a sense. Except obviously you know the W his stun is not doing like any damage to his opponents. But over time, a lot of that was like removed. And um, as far as like the archetype and things of like what Victor. And category category he would fall into in the past he used to be you know really known for being like a battle mage or a, a burst mage as like a lot of people you you were here say but i feel like now he's definitely like better identifies with the title of like a control mage given all of the changes he's you know have undergone up until this point simply because a lot of the times you find yourself truly playing to control the situation and not necessarily you know be that battle or burst mage that's just like always at the front of the of the fight but looking to create a situation to where you now gain access to you know those priority targets within the fighting really controlling the flow of the overall the overall picture okay that makes sense 
So what makes uh, your Victor playstyle unique compared to how other people might play him? <laughs> oh, oh, man. Yeah, I, uh, I do tend to go for really aggressive, I guess, like uh, skirmish plays. And I really tr truly look to squeeze out every like advantage that from his kit as much as possible. And when I say that, like, for example, I truly try and like get every single pulse out of my ultimate to just effectively hit whatever target I'm looking to hit at, at that time. And if I can't find it on the, the person that's my focus, best believe I'm looking to just reallocate it and assign it to someone else to either keep them out of the fight or make them think twice before they commit. So yeah, in every sense of the word, I truly am looking to uh, just take advantage of every single aftershock, every single W placement, the amount of movement speed and the duration that I have that bonus movement speed for my Q, and every single pulse that comes out of that ulti. Okay, how do you do that? Like specifically, like something like the movement speed. How do you actually make use of that? What what kind of actions are you taking for that? Oh yeah, so typically, like let's say in a standard team fight, I use that bonus movement speed to basically reposition. Or use it obviously as my, in, you know, in my sense, a gap closer because obviously I'm only going to be able to run at my opponent unless I otherwise am going to like utilize flash. So a lot of times you'll the way I'll utilize my cues, procking that off of like their front line, so I can better reposition myself in the fight. That's probably more ideal. They may either allow me to get like a more optimal or high value laser through the enemy team and onto their carries, and likewise with my ultimate. Likewise with my W. So a lot of times that Q is definitely used as like the stepping stone to me getting ideal ability placement and uh, just working from there in terms of like my ability to kite opponents in the event that I get, you know, just hard focused or like they really do just hard commit onto me into, into a particular fight. Okay. Would you say that that playstyle kind of requires like a high APM, especially if you're constantly adjusting your ult, that kind of stuff? I would say it, to a certain degree, it, it would encompass like a higher APM. Uh, mostly because, especially within Season 11, there's just so many high threats uh, typically within your games, and it's just you can't really afford to just be CC-chained because I think uh, your survivability compared to other champions coming out of a layer of CC is just not as high. So you definitely want to have that higher APM so you can just sidestep those critical like ability or skill shots that you know you absolutely must avoid. Obviously, there's not much you could do versus like anything that's like flash point click. But obviously, if you know you understand people's range on their point click ability, as as long as they're not incorporating that flash, you can a lot of times you know keep yourself tethered or you know properly spaced to you know, keep yourself just out of range of that type of stuff and hoping that you can bait it out or they just use it on another of like one of your teammates and that frees you up to obviously you know do as you like, play as you like, play as aggressive as you like, and use that as a window of aggression. For you to like make an impact in that skirmish or that overall fight. All right. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that's some of, some of the advanced techniques. Uh, what are some of the, the common mistakes that people make when playing Victor? Uh, like, what is the kind of mistake that you'd expect a beginner to make? Mm. Well, I would say the most common mistakes that I've seen beginners make usually either revolves around their laser uh, and how they utilize it, what angle they uh, they cast it in the utilization of your ultimate so it, previously you had heard me talk about me using you know every pulse of that ultimate and seeing how much value i can get out of it uh, there are instances where, where you know people who are just picking up victor or starting off or really trying to learn them they'll utilize the ultimate i think correctly within that like that first you know one to two seconds of that instance but then if it either kills the target or fails to keep up with the target 
you'll see a lot of times they don't reassign it or it'll just sit idly. The other subtle mistake that I think I see is just like either failing to use their W or using it too preemptively and they may not account for the thing that's threatening them having like multiple dashes or, you know, something to basically just overall avoid their gravity field. Okay. So especially on the W, would you recommend that people just keep their W as long as possible? Or how do you avoid that mistake? You just got to account for all the variables in that particular situation. So if you're up against something like an Akali or Lucian, things you know that just have that available dash, and they obviously has, have not shown you that they've used it, then obviously holding on to it until they e have either invested that into that fight, or if you're just waiting for the more ideal opportunity to where you can get a multi-man stun, then that usually helps. Basically just looking for a moment where you know your W has intention. It's like, I want to punish this person for using this dash or to peel for myself once they've used that gap closer, or I want to save my W because we're in a choke point and this could be really good for just a good multi-man setup stun or just a W placement that can just potentially zone people away from a fight. Like, especially if it's sensed around objectives like Dragon or Baron, when you can simply just place them, you know, in the entrances to the river. And that W can buy you some time, keep your opponents out of the fight for just a little longer. And that could be, you know, the thing that turns that tide, right? Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So what kind of tricks do you use on Victor that people might not know about? Oh, man, there's, there's definitely numerous. Uh, there's a lot of times I will do what it was basically an invisible gravity field. So... It's essentially, you can think of it at like, you know, like Nunu, when he channels his ultimate and, you know, the pixel, the infamous pixel brush in the river, right? And you have no vision there. You can't see him channeling, but you're being slowed by something. And then actually, you know, you're getting chunked by something. So it's that same concept. I just place these, the centerpiece of my gravity field within a brush that I more than often than not know it's warded or not. But obviously, you know, even if it is, me putting my W there and watching their mannerism will let me know whether it's warded or not. But if it's invisible, I mean, if it's like not warded, I place my W in there and they walk through and make contact with my W, they'll know they're getting slow. They may not be able to process that they're getting slow at that time, but they'll obviously get stunned. They won't be able to see the W. And then that opens up an opportunity for me to like advance onto my opponent. Other things I do that I know some people may not like, I run my E, my laser through terrain. Because you, you can cast it on top of terrain and have it travel, you know, over or through it. And sometimes that'll create angles for me that people may not anticipate, especially if they're, like, playing as close to the terrain as possible. Um, other little tricks I would say that I use, things like Victor's animation cancel, uh, which some people struggle with. But once it's, like, explained, a lot of people understand it, which, in essence, the only way you get that animation cancel is by being within your auto attack range as you're, like, utilizing your Q. And then, you know, obviously uh, using your attack move to cancel that Q animation and get in that empowered auto. Let's see. I think that about sums up, like, the main little tricks that you can do on Victor. Okay. That's <laughs> that's a lot. Awesome. That's, uh, that's really cool. Okay. Um, so uh, real quick, tell me about summoner spells. So how do you choose which one to run? So generally, TP is just... It's just been the, the best thing for Victor. 
it's it has multiple purposes right so let's say you make a mistake or you fail to survive the you know the infamous first gank that that might come mid because you know victor is quite the punishable mid laner that tp allows you to kind of like you know make that null and void in the sense that you can tp back to the lane after your death and you'll relatively lose out on very little experience or goal from just the overall laning phase you can obviously utilize it to you know tp to side lanes pre-6 or whatnot, you know, to look for more proactive plays or, or to join in on fights and effectively, you know, apply pressure to side lanes and not be able to miss out on certain skirmishes. So overall, T TP has a number of, of uses that just, you know, makes it overall the best for Victor. Uh, there are some situations or matchups where barrier exhaust may be needed, especially like with assassins, or there may be instances where you really may need to respect the threat of a twisted fate and the jungle's synergy so you might take cleanse or like things like zoe where you know being absolutely slept could be quite devastating for you so cleanse would be pretty good there there's just matchups that are highly within your favor or you just have that type of kill presence onto them and so ignite is like your go-to but overall across a lot of my games you will definitely see me just default to, to teleport simply because it just has multiple uses and even if I can't necessarily use it as like kill pressure onto my laner, that doesn't necessarily mean I can't utilize it to, you know, make plays if elsewhere onto other opponents, you know, especially if I'm like, you know, keeping my eyes head on the swivel for anything, any movement on the map. Okay. So what is kind of your preferred usage of TP then? In the best situation, would you like to always TP to a side lane or would you TP back to lane, that kind of stuff? In the best situation, I would like to use my TP for other lanes. As it has its pros and cons, it can be quite the double-edged sword sometimes. I've experienced the best and the worst of those outcomes whenever utilizing my TP for other lanes. I would say just given the, the dynamic of like how NA solo queue works, a lot of times I find that if I can pull off that successful TP play for another lane, usually the, uh, the outcome of the game is more favorable as well. But uh, there are some instances where, yes, I am simply just forced to use it for lane simply because I may want to maintain mid lane tempo or, uh, or priority. And so I'll use it for that, for that purpose, especially if I'm either forced or early back, or let's say I just got ganked early and I'm just too unhealthy to continue. That is definitely an instance where I'll just uh, more than likely use it for the lane, especially if my wave management is at jeopardy. There are some instances where, yeah, I get ganked early and I may be unhealthy to continue, but I still look for that that slight opportunity to where I just might be able to impact the side lane in that point. Because especially in a lot of instances, if I can get my bot lane ahead, usually that can set up a lot of other uh, advantages or opportunities just like later on, where it comes to like dragon control, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Okay, cool. Um, all right. So how about your runes? What options do you have there? Oh yeah, I would, I'd say he has a pretty decent amount of options. But you, if you were to look at my matches right now, you would see that I, I run Phase Rush uh, a lot. It, it kind of falls in that same category as the TP. It just has a multitude of you know you like just uses. But I would say as far as runes go, your keystones that you're typically looking at, you're looking at Phase Rush. Obviously, you're looking at Electrocute. Um, there are some instances where I'll take Comet into matchups that outrange me. Uh, things like Zareth, for example. That way I can still, you know, apply some lane pressure without, you know, completely just sacrificing too much trade power. And then there are some instances if I feel like my use of Electrocute is a bit unsafe, 
I will take Aerie. Um, I'll also take Aerie if I'm playing Victor bot lane, because bot lane can get quite trade intensive, and I feel like uh, Aerie really kind of fits the bill in that regard. So it allows me to, again, have that, that lane presence where my trades feel significant. I'm not sacrificing too much, and I'm not necessarily putting myself in too much of a, you know, in harm's way, so to speak. Right? Okay. So when exactly would you pick Electrocute over, well, I guess the main one is Phase Rush? So typically, if, if I'm going like Electrocute, it's generally versus uh, champions that are shorter in range than me. So things like Talon, Kassadin, uh, Vladimir. Uh, they're typically in nature like short range. I can, I have kill presence onto them early, especially if I'm playing it properly. So I guess the rule of thumb for that one generally it would be like assassins. I know I mentioned Vlad, but you know he him just being short ranged, and the fact that I just have a stronger early than him uh, allows me to kind of look for those those kill opportunities onto a, a matchup like that. But those are definitely instances where I would just go electrocute over the the phase rush there. Okay. Are those also the same instances where you would maybe run Ignite, or is that like a different subset of matchups? Oh, yeah. So if I know for sure I have like full on kill potential on my target, I will take Ignite. So things like Cassid and Vladimir, Silas, I take Ignite in those. Uh, I do sometimes take it versus Yone because I, I know I have the opportunity to kill him early as well. Uh, but I do not take it typically versus things like Talon or, uh, or Zed simply because. A lot of times they they have the means to just disengage that entire all in. Sometimes that ignite it's just I may not find the most ideal opportunity to use it. And in the event that they get ahead, yeah, my uses for it become less and less. Whereas if I could just use barrier exhaust to either bait out some abilities or absorb some damage, then the follow up from that creates that that window for me to follow and kill them. Right. Okay. So back to runes. What about the second part of the runes? So uh, when would you pick, like, uh, in the second tree, like, Domination or Precision or Inspiration? What is your preference? My, my preference is definitely Inspiration. Inspiration helps to overall ease your transition through the laning phase into the mid-game, you know, or just, like, post-laning phase where, you know, the swapping and stuff comes into effect. But it really is to just smooth over that laning phase. Uh, a lot of times it gives you that extended laning time, so you're either not forced back too early just because of, like, you know, your mana pool or... You've just been unable to sustain yourself. So I definitely, a lot of times, my default is inspiration, uh, where a lot of times I'll either go biscuits without a doubt and either cosmic insight if I really just need to shave off, you know, a decent 40 seconds or so from my TP to follow, you know, global threats like Twisted Fate, etc. Or if I want to just go for magical footwear, I can conserve some gold there. Uh, there are some instances where I go uh, perfect timing if I know I'm against like an assassin where you know, Zion is just absolute. And then obviously, you know, that will reduce the time until my next stasis. Uh, the times where I go with domination typically comes down to either my matchup is a scaling matchup. It could be something like, like Kassin. It could be something where like it's a Kassin, but I decide to not go electrocute. So I would go domination secondary. Or if it's something like an echo where their trading patterns can get quite volatile. And so my race against time doesn't come down to my mana pool, really. It comes down to my health. And so my uh, the domination allows me to kind of like, you know, stabilize or come out on top in some of those trades, simply because as I'm trading, I'm, that trade is helping me replenish that health that I might otherwise lose. So uh, those are instances where I would go domination. 
there are some where I do go precision or I do go resolve. Precision typically is for not the presence of mind, but the tenacity. So there are matchups like Galio. It could be Galio, it could be Twist of Fate, it could be Ari. It could be champions that just have like either the taunt or just like, you know, the, the CC that could prove quite fatal to your overall like capacity to lane. And especially given the right jungles set up, uh, I know that layer of CC just means absolute death to me. I will go for the tenacity. So let's say, for example, it was a Galio and a Fiddlesticks. That's a lot of CC that they can easily, quite easily layer with very little margin for error. And so that I would definitely just go precision with the tenacity there. Obviously, the presence of mine is just a bonus. It'll help to stabilize the mana pool a little bit, but I'm mostly there for the tenacity. That allows me to break free of that, that crowd control and react respond because a lot of times being able to allows me to turn that what would be just an unfortunate you know death to just something i can outplay so that would be an instance where i would just go for the that precision secondary the times where i would go like resolve mm, would be things like fizz it could be good into echo it could be good into diana uh, simply because a lot of their trade patterns they look to kind of just dump their burst onto you in that simple instance and then disengage and so you know those bone platings from the resolve tree secondary really do help a lot. You can couple that with uh with shield bash, and that'll you know give you a little bit of power in your in your trade a little bit, and you know it gives you, it does gives you some resistance, a little bit of extra resistance there. So those are definitely the type of matchups like that where I would consider going resolve secondary. Okay, awesome. That's uh, a lot of options and a lot of matchups to consider, I guess. But yeah. Okay, so let's kind of dive into the early game, I guess. Um, when it comes to your starting items, you start with Doran's Ring most of the time, right? That is correct. When would you ever, well, would you ever uh, run Corrupting Potion? Yeah, there are some instances where I'd say I would run Corrupting Potion. Matchups like Yone, basically people who can kind of like just engage on you at any time and just really, you know, make it quite difficult for you to sustain yourself. And like I said, like I mentioned versus the Echo, where it doesn't really come down to it being a race of time against your mana pool, but your health, matchups like Echo, matchups like Yone, even matchups like Oriana, where they just they kind of just have, you know, that type of agency over you. Like if they want to engage or trade with you, they they simply can. And they might do that to challenge you to a lane of attrition, then corruption pot really does help with that. I mean, and then you could you could either use it to help stabilize yourself in that lane of attrition. Or you can obviously use it, you know, to better supplement your your aggression, right? So, yeah, those would be instances in which I would uh, definitely just go corrupt pot. Is if I know if it's a lane of attrition, they have that easy agency over me, and I just absolutely know that it would be quite bad if they were to force me out of the lane, the laning process too early. Okay, cool. So, all right. So heading into the game. Um, what are some of the first things that you're looking at? Like, what do you try to take into account for each game? So definitely when I'm going into the game, I'm obviously looking at my matchup first and foremost. That gives me the general idea of what type of summoner I'm taking. Um, as far as my keystone, I for me, for the most part, uh, I take into consideration both the mid lane matchup as well as the jungle matchup. So it could be, God forbid, they allow Udyr through, right? And they have they have the Udyr, or they have Olaf or Hecarim, and they can utilize, you know, Phase Rush pretty well or Ghost really well. And they have a mid laner that is high in threat. You will see me just take Phase Rush uh, simply because that increases my my survivability into those particular mid jungle synergies. 
otherwise, if I was to go, you know, airy electrocute or my standard with respect to just that matchup, for example, like I said, I would take electrocute versus assassins, but obviously it's more than just him. It's that Udi or whatever. You will see me dismiss that, not go electrocute and go phase rush because I'll find other opportunities to use my phase rush aggressively to kill my opponents rather than I'll obviously always using it for that escape. But that option is always on the table for me whenever that time comes. The other things I take into account, obviously their, their rune setup, because you know they might potentially have you know nullifying orb. That is something to keep in mind. So I won't you know invest my flash too early and think I have the execute, but then nullifying orb or is proct, or maybe they have resolve and they have a bone plating. So I'm definitely looking at their their rune setup as well as their summoner take, as well as just their overall composition. What type of I place like team identity am I dealing with? Are they a siege composition? Are they a really strong team fight composition? Is this a good split type of team? Could they effectively run a one three one or one or a four one? Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm looking at those things as well as you know the type of if they have tanks, type of frontline am I dealing with? Because that lets me know uh, what type of mythic is ideal for this game. Which a lot of times you can't really go wrong with Leandri's simply because it has so much to offer. Uh, but Definitely, if it's versus tanks, then I'm getting the most value I could ever ask for out of my Leandries. If their team is fairly, you know, just squishy, but high in damage, Ludens is typically pretty good, especially if you're snowballing. It allows you to, you know, really either use that move speed as a gap closer or to kite out your opponents. Good, you know, magic pin. So obviously really good, doing good on uh, squishier targets. It opens up your one-shot uh, threshold a bit more. So yeah, I start from the small picture and I, I work my way up to the bigger picture and that. It just starts from what summoners do I take because of the matchup, what keystone and secondary do I take because of the, the mid and general matchup, and then what type of itemization am I looking at because of the composition. All right, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So basically just taking in all the information from the start of the game and kind of setting out a game plan, right? Exactly. So yeah, when it comes to matchups, what are kind of the main important types of matchups for Victor? Like, how would you categorize them? I guess the simplest ways to just categorize them would just be your assassin or melee matchups versus just your ranged and, you know, just, uh, yeah, like your ranged matchups as well as the people who outscale you. So you have your outscalers, your ranged matchups, your melee matchups. I, I, I think that's the simplest way of kind of breaking it down. These are why outscalers is kind of a category for me is because that kind of dictates your your pacing. So I know that Kassin outscales me. I don't want to necessarily completely play the scaling game with him because I will lose if I play that game. So I definitely look to kind of fine-tune my aggression a little bit. Obviously, you know, there, there are, there's room for error in this. And I can, you know, pretty much with anything you do in life, right? But the more you invest into the speed or the pace of how fast you do something, you open yourself up to mistakes. So that is factored in because then I try and increase my pace just a little bit, apply some pressure to this cast and you know, try and see in what areas can I set him behind or to whatever opponent that just outscales me, like Vladimir, for example. He's another one that just I know he will in time outscale me if this game drags on long enough. Uh, so I play for an earlier, a stronger early to mid so where I can take advantage of you know, their, their, their slight inferiority to my damage before they really become a, a, a true handful for me to deal with, right? And uh, 
assassins just because you know obviously that, that gives me an idea of like what type of damage am i going to be looking to dealing with and how i should better position myself in these fights watching for flanks because obviously a lot of assassins will like to look for those flanks they don't typically try and approach fights head on because that's where we thrive that's where we can win is you know if they're just taking the fight from one side rather than taking the fight from multiple angles because that forces me to divide my kit up i have to place my w wide left i have to invest my ultimate right right and then for your range matchups that's important for is you know just watching my positioning because i know that there's going to be some area of effect involved right so whether it's you know zareth fishing for poke oriana fishing for shockwaves all of those things are taken into consideration based on those three categories. So what affects my pacing, what affects my positioning, how I reallocate my abilities, they influence all of those. Okay, cool. So out of those, what are some of the hardest matchups for Victor? Your hardest matchups for Victor, definitely without a doubt, uh, Fizz. Cassidy is a natural counter to you. A lot of people fear Cassidy, which is understandable. He, level, the infamous level 16, right? I'm not concerned for him as much. The main thing that concerns me is if he finds the freedom to get cleanup kills elsewhere, because then that's when he starts to be beyond my control, is that he's gotten resources elsewhere, and he's now brought those resources to land. Other matchups that I find a lot of people struggle with the most, so we got our Fizz, we got our Cassidy. Uh, Katarina gives a lot of victory players some problems, because I like to consider them as like Fizz and Katarina and what used to be like Pike mid, quite the volatile matchups for you because you can essentially outlean your opponent, right? But if they find opportunities to roam, and like I said, they gather those those outside resources, regardless of you, you could be at a 50 CS lead. They still have the agency, the, the kill presence onto you, despite what advantage you've managed to build up until, up until that point. Rumble will give you problems early, up until at least about the 20 to 25 minute mark where you've effectively outscaled him. Uh, but he has quite the formidable early mid, so you really have to watch yourself and not allow him to you know, get ahead. Uh, Galio could be kind of troublesome for you, not, sit, not necessarily because like he just has like insane like laning presence. It's just he has very strong gank setup. He obviously you know has a formidable global, so his capacity to affect the game more readily than you can is what might give you problems, right? Okay. All right. So um, are there any easy matchups as well? Oh, yes. So, I mean, well, you have things, you have things like, you know, your Vagar, Twisted Fate, Anivia. Those are pretty uh, favorable. Brand, Lux. Things like Ori Syndra are, I would say, Victor Favor. You just, that high APM is what really starts to come into play there. You know, being able to manage Oriana's ball placement and uh, Syndra's ball placement as well. But you, uh, you typically uh, start to just come out ahead over them, especially versus Syndra if you go like Merc Treads early. I do like things like Lucian. I do like things like Tristana. You do outscale them too. It's just a matter of just not making that first mistake. So yeah, those, let's see, a couple of other ones. There's, there's others because it's like the interactions with them, you're ultimate. So I guess I should have mentioned this as like another little tip or trick that you know you can you could find yourself doing on Victor is that his ultimate has a disrupt, so you can cancel channels. 
So uh, if you if someone's channeling any ability and you're actively looking for it, you can cancel that channel. So if a fiddlestick is channeling his ultimate, you can cancel it with yours. If a rise is channeling his ultimate, you can cancel that. Same thing with like anything like you know Galio's W, uh, Scion's Q. You know the list goes on. Anything with a channel, if you're within an effective range and you cast your ultimate on top of it, you can cancel that. Other I guess champions that are favorable. Malzahar, very easy one. I already mentioned like Anivia Vigar in them. So what makes these matchups easy? How do you take advantage of it? They're just not as agile. And a lot of times you can look for those opportunities where they're obviously using to you, you know, looking for those ability trades onto you as a moment in which they might overstep. And that allows you to punish them just freely there. Whether you know, let's say, for example, a Lux is walking up for a snare, you can easily just look for an opportunity to use your W, really like set yourself up, get that stun, and you can obviously just follow up with your damage. And it's either you're going to get the kill or you're going to get their sums. And so, yeah, those type of matchups, they're, you, they're just as, in essence, as immobile as you. And so you can definitely punish them for overextensions a lot easier. You don't have to worry about them necessarily dashing out unless obviously like we discussed like they just flash away but that then again that is still an advantage game because a flashless mobile target is definitely just like easier free so definitely just any any matchup in general that just doesn't have as high as you know a mobility threshold is just favorable for you that makes sense okay you talked a little bit about the junglers earlier I wonder also about your ally jungler. Uh, which junglers does Victor pair well with? Oh, Nunu for sure. And generally, any jungler where you can layer your gravity fill with is a good jungler. So, I mean, it could be something like Volibear. I mean, it could be Ramus. It could be Nunu. It could be, you know, Warwick, like the Fear, the Udir with the stun. Like even Viego stun is quite reliable, but just something that allows you to get that set up with your W because your W operates on a stacking system. And not only that, it has a cast time as well as an arm time. And so them creating that, you know, additional, you know, couple seconds is pivotal for you in, in making that gank overall successful, right? I mean, obviously there's your other, other subtleties of like posturing and lane a certain way to, you know, really create that, that pincer gank that you guys are looking for, or, you know, baiting them into a trade, knowing that you have help right there. So, yeah. That's pretty much your only other way is to, you know, set up that gank, so to speak, aside from just like waiting for them to get that CC in and you following up with the W. Okay. So how do you, yeah, if you're not looking to uh, wait for the jungler to start something, how do you try to set up a good gank for your jungler? Oh yeah, definitely. So yeah, you just essentially do the same thing where you're just either baiting them into the trade. So you just treat it like any normal trade. As long as you're not giving off that mannerism that telegraphs the gank is there, where, for example, you're playing overly aggressive, like you're playing aggressive, but in this one particular instance, you've just played over aggressive, you're just walking straight forward, that will give the gank away. But if you're really trying to set it up, you just take your time, you just wait for them to walk up to CS, take the trade, they'll more than likely respond in kind, and that will bait out their abilities, thus delaying their capacity to you know, either escape and then that can help set up the gank. The other thing is your posturing within lane. So for example, when you're 
jungler is ganking from the top side of the map, you don't want to necessarily position to the top side of the map because what mid laners have the tendency to naturally do is we position kind of adjacent to each other, or I guess diagonal to each other, so to speak. So for example, if I'm positioning to the top side of the lane, your opponent naturally positions to the bot side of the lane. That is the furthest position away from you. They know if you cast an ability, they have a, a fair chance of responding and typically dodging it. Uh, they never really just like stand on the same side of the lane as you, unless they're looking for an opportunity themselves, so to speak, like a favorable trade, if they know they win it in a, like an open, open trade where minions aren't involved. But yeah, so you're setting up that gank, you want to just like your jungles ganking from top side of the lane, position to the bot side of your lane. That will get them to, you know, naturally start gravitating towards that other side of the lane away from you. Because uh, they, they just don't want to be freely traded upon, right? And so that starts to set up that pincer gank that you guys want where you collapse, makes it very hard for them to escape or run off to the side and get away. Because if you're obviously staying on the same side of your jungler and you guys try to press that gank, they can just simply run up and the furthest angle away from you guys, and you just won't find any success there. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, all right, let's 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 talk about um, XP and leveling for a bit. When it comes to the lighting phase, what are some of the key moments for Victor? So a lot of your key moments are obviously like level two advantages. Stronger level for Victor would be level three, because that's when you have two points into your lasers, so it really does start to get that damage across. Level one, you're... you're your laser isn't that you know superior yet so i do take advantage of sometimes when i know i have a stronger level one than my opponent because as you know victor's q grants him a shield and an empowered auto attack so i know that if my shield can in essence absorb you know most of that damage that that's coming from their level one trade because obviously you know we're just dealing with one ability then i'll you know take the initiative walk up past the wave take that trade Moving beyond just the level one, we've already talked about the level two. If you're getting level two before your opponent, you obviously have two abilities to their one. Quite advantageous for you to try and take advantage of that. More often than not, you'll come out on top of that trade as long as you're, you know, not going for extended where you obviously your abilities are now on cooldown. You can't use them again. Clearly, I'd say beyond the level two, level four is pretty good. That's when you typically have access to your gravity field. Around level four, if you can obtain that prior to scuttle spawning that is quite huge simply because it definitely uh brings that 2v2 within a reasonable you know favor uh because that's that stun could make or break that 2v2 okay uh, when it comes to taking gravity field at level four do you always have that before scuttle or like how, how's the timing on that the if you're playing for it you can always get it before scuttle if you're just kind of playing at a neutral pace, you know, in tandem with your, with your laning opponent, you may be sitting at level three by the time that spawns, if you're just playing at a slower pace. But if you know in particular that the, the tempo of the game might be determined at you guys contesting Scuttle and, you know, you juggling and seizing Pryo uh, at that precise moment where your jungler is either contesting or looking to just, you know, collect it, you know, the Scuttles, you definitely would just want to play for that level four because uh, not having that stun there, it really could just like be the the thing that determines whether you guys win or lose that because you already have the damage, your EQ. But sometimes, depending on what you're up against, that might not be enough. And early on, your uh, your E and your Q do not have like the lowest of cooldowns. 
And so that W can buy you precious seconds. It can buy your jungler precious seconds. And yeah, it can better help you come out on top of those 2v2s, uh, especially if like you come off into a situation where you may not have arrived at that skirmish first. You know, your opponent might have gotten there first. So. Okay, cool. By the way, on level one, do you start with Q or E? That is also dependent on the matchup. So if I'm versus a shorter ranged opponent like Zed, et cetera, I more than often than not will go Q. If I'm versus more of a ranged matchup or a matchup where I know my Q trade either gets kind of nullified or they can probably just, you know, like dodge it or keep themselves out of harm's way of my Q, then I will go for my, my E start. That way I can start, you know, immediately stacking my mana flow and, you know, playing around its cooldown. Okay. When it comes to your E, um, when and how do you use your E to wave clear? And, and how do you manage your mana with that? Typically, the best way I try and manage my mana is just simply playing around my mana full cooldown. So obviously, once I've procced my ability, I'm you know, looking at that, the meter to see how much longer I have until my mana full is up again. Your E can be quite costly in mana, especially as you start to put more points into it. So there are times where um, I try not to spam it too much. Uh, as long as I'm sticking to my own game plan. But yeah, the times where I'm utilizing it on the wave is either to achieve a certain form of wave management, whether it's to get it shoved, whether it's to thin the wave so I can establish a freeze. But as I'm doing that, I am trying to get that angle onto my opponent as well. So I may be thinning the wave to establish that freeze, but I'm going to always try and angle that laser to see if I can get more value out of it and see if I can get it to travel through that minion, secure the minion, and get that trade as well. I'm not really looking to just perma-clear a wave until I've gotten my augment, and if I know that doing that can either keep my lane opponent occupied, so I can either establish vision for myself, or even roam, if the roam is very ideal, or to just apply pressure by simply stepping off into the fog of war because of my absence on the map is pressure, uh, or if I'm anticipating for them to roam. So if I'm anticipating their roam and I can shove in that, that wave, then at least they'll either give something up for that roam or I will be already set up to follow if the follow is ideal. Okay, so what would be good opportunities to roam? Uh, for what reason would you shove the wave for that? Times that are definitely ideal to roam is either side lanes are just overextended with probably very little vision and your jungler may be in the area to, you know, better solidify that, that gank opportunity. Or if the bot lane is in a really advantageous spot, you're in an advantageous spot, and they have a very massive wave that looks like it's ready to crash, you can very easily, like, play to clear that wave or clear most of that wave that's in front of you. And, you know, try and not telegraph the roam, venture off into the fog, and, you know, really see if you can just rotate, assuming, you know, you've set yourself up with, you know, decent vision control or you have a very strong understanding of where their line of vision may be, you can look to make that roam and dive. And then that way, you know, that can really break open the game for you guys because the more towers fall, that opens up the map. And bottling tower falling early or something like that definitely just gives you a lot of control over the bot side of the map. So Dragon can be quite the, uh, the win con for you guys because you'll be playing, setting yourself for, for that soul. Uh, so those are pretty much like opportunities I would want to roam. And Victor obviously benefits more now from that kill participation because his his augments are operating off of hex bits, and those hex 
X bits are obtained from you know your CSing. So regular minions are one, cannons are five, and then your kill or assist uh, contribute to that as well. And you get 25 per kill or assist that you you have. So you getting those puts you online a bit faster. You know, it, it really brings out that utility and that you know brings up higher impact in those skirmishes. Okay, cool. Would that also be something like if you're against a scaling champion, uh, would roaming be better to kind of speed up the game like that? Oh yes. Oh definitely. If you're versus a champion where yeah, you're it's you have the people who outscale you, you definitely want to do something that will kind of increase the pace a little bit. Obviously, you know, it comes with its risk, but I mean in, in a ranked environment, you have to be willing to take those risks and execute accordingly. Otherwise, you know, not taking a proactive approach in certain environments like that could could kind of prove fatal for the overall game state. So yeah, you definitely would want to try and look for some type of proactivity, you know, that roam or using that priority to assist on your jungle's invade, you know, that type of thing will definitely help to you know, speed up. Okay. Lastly, on the laning phase, um, let's say you've made a mistake and maybe died to the enemy mid lane. How does that change your play style? Do you end up playing more passively to maybe have a comeback? Or, uh, you know, how do you make sure you don't end up falling behind? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely if I made a mistake and I've, fallen, I've just died to my opponent there, I take into advantage how much I've lost as a result of that death. So I know whether or not they have just solidified their experience advantage because the next obstacle I would need to look out for if, they've not, if they're not there already is that level six because, you know, ultimate's come into play. And if I'm not careful, depending on who it is, the moment I make it back to lane, they just have, you know, that type of agency to just kill me on the spot. So whenever that happens, yes, I do down back my aggression a little bit, especially depending on if I blew my flash in that prior exchange. So if I blew my flash and I died, I definitely dial back my aggression because I'm just far more punishable. They may be looking to see um, if they can further exploit the mid lane because obviously without my flash, I'm far more mobile. But if I did not blow my flash and I died on that instance and I returned back to lane and they may have invested their flash or whatever they have invested, if that leaves them more vulnerable to being killed, I will try and coordinate with my jungler because at that point, we're looking at them having that experience advantage and I may not be able to necessarily set myself up on my own. And so obviously, you know, we'll go back to, you know, but that ganks up playing, you know, adjacent to whatever my jungler is looking to gank from and working from there to make sure we don't fall too far behind because obviously they get rolling depending on what it is you may not be able to lane any further they could potentially just zone you from the wave indefinitely especially if your wave state is just in a very poor spot and you just don't have the means to on your own either break the freeze that they've established and so yeah that definitely just requires like your you know your assistance from the jungler's assistance at that point yeah okay all right, let's talk about the mid game for a little bit. As Victor, are you usually the first one to take a mid turret or is it usually the other way around? Hmm, I feel like it's kind of 50 50. Uh, a lot of times, like, obviously, if I'm like really ahead on that matchup, I am definitely looking to break open that mid tower. That does open up a huge chunk of the map that we can utilize to just establish a strong line of division. Whereas if it's something that is very wave clear oriented like they have very strong wave clear it is typically quite hard as victor to break mid simply because you know you, you initially don't have that much threat onto the mid tower unless obviously you know harold is part of that equation 
Uh, but on your own, you don't have that much threat onto it. And so if they have very strong wave clear, I kind of just don't set my eyes on destroying the turret, but rather just collecting gold from its plates. Just chipping away at it, getting some more econ over to myself. If we find an opportunity you know, to incorporate that Herald, it will be within reason enough to knock it down using that Herald. And we can go from there. But uh, usually the only times I'm actively looking to crack mid turret is if the, I know it's favorable for me, I'm in a favorable spot, I need to translate this lead. Either my tower or some other tower needs to fall so uh, we can start swapping and really getting the map moving, especially if it's something that roams, like uh, Talon or Galio, Twist Fate, or people who just use it. Like their, their eyes are just on more than just that mid lane. So, yeah, I definitely want to get that game away from being centered just in that mid lane. I need to free myself up to go elsewhere. Okay. What's a higher priority for you? Would you prefer to get platings on a turret or would you use an advantage to roam? I probably would try and go for the plates over the Rome. Romes are not always successful. In in the ideal world where all of them work out, then I mean it would be phenomenal because obviously, you know, you get those 25 stacks per kill or assist and you know you getting that utility really does bring out your best in Victor. Uh so getting the sooner the better, obviously. But Victor obviously isn't the strongest roamer. He is quite lane reliant. Uh, so that's why I say like roaming is quite the double-edged sword, but you you have to be willing to take some risk sometime. It's just a matter of picking and choosing your battles accordingly, which is ideal with like picking and choosing what's it, what is ideal for you, um, especially because yeah, that's why I would definitely just try and I would prioritize that those plates over the roam, unless that roam was just like picture perfect ideal and it just had a lot more to offer than just one plate or yeah, or two plates. But Generally, I'm looking at the plates to better set myself up to reach a stronger game state so I can impact the game. Okay. Once you have kind of started to swap around, um, how do you know where you'll have the most impact? Like, how do you choose between uh, side laning with your teleport or pushing mid or maybe roaming with your juggler for kills? So, like, the points where, you know, like, your strongest in that mid game is just around objective control. So neutral objectives, preferably, because obviously, you know, it's, it's team incorporated and Victor is a champion that doesn't necessarily reach a true, true 1v9 state. He is quite like fundamentally like team reliant. So in those team fights, those choke points, though, like the objective, like neutral objective uh, fights and control, like he thrives in that particular aspect. He's not really a person who's like, yeah, I'm just going to be you know, perma splitting and really just applying obscene pressure to the sideline. You can apply pressure, but obviously not to an extent of a champion that's better tailored towards that spit pushing, like Fiora, like Jax, et cetera, et cetera, right? So when you're side laning, which you're typically side laning when, you know, you, you, you're silent, one of your side lanes have decided to swap, typically bot uh, have decided to swap with you and they have the capacity to either hold mid or break mid because you were probably unable to, depending on the circumstance, right? And you'll find yourself in that side lane, probably up against your opponent as well. But you're not really looking to just, especially if you're not ahead of your opponent or you know you can't necessarily just full on like 1v2. You're just looking to continue like keeping your scaling on its course. If they present a mistake and it's punishable, especially if your jungle is shadowing you, that allots you that aggression to look for that, punish that. And if someone falls, then it opens up, you know, something to be taken objective wise, whether it's like, okay, let's transition this into Drake from an advantage we got in the site lane, or let's just see if we can crack the bot side tower, because that will further, you know, just increase our control over that side, over the bot side of the map. 
Uh, vice versa, if you find yourself in the top lane from the swap, then you just go from there. But generally, you're playing to the side of the map of whatever objective is on the table. The only time you're playing away from it is if you're the one who has the TP and your top laner doesn't necessarily have it. You know, they might be running Ghost, Ignite, whatever the means may be, right? Okay. So in general, kind of in the mid game, um, if you're looking to fight, do you prefer small skirmishes or team fights over objectives? I guess you kind of already answered this, right? I mean, yeah, you're mostly looking at the objectives, but I mean, I don't mind like open fights. It just comes down to a matter of number advantages and disadvantages that I'm concerned about at that point. So if it's a not for the sake of an objective, but just for the sake of like really winning that fight, gaining control over this side of the map, then I'm looking at what type of a number advantage are we looking at? Do we have to worry about TPs? Are there globals involved? That's the type of stuff I get concerned about. And that becomes my, my center center of you know a focus at that point and if that is if i know it's unfavorable i'll just like discourage my team from it and just continue to look for like a small advantage in the side lane where i can either push on that wave get someone to answer the side lane of that wave and i could look for something like a roam back to the mid lane because typically once swapping happens typically in the mid lane a fight is bound to happen uh, more often than not and so being able to just be there could you know, be that, that one swing variable that could really start that game in, off in our favor. So, yeah, it's just, it really just does depend. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're definitely looking more for, like, those number advantage skirmishes that could translate to objectives. Okay, cool. All right, so let's talk about items for a little bit. What's usually your build path? Typically, a lot of my build path was just be sent around Leandri's. But to keep it more simple, like you're either looking at Leandri's or Ludens. Starting off as a victor player, you're typically just looking at Leandri's or Ludens. Leandri's, if you're dealing with like a tank or a lot of high health bruisers, where you know that bursting them is not simply, it's simply just not the answer to, you know, dealing with their composition. It may require multiple spell rotations. You may need to kite them out. And so that burst may not be the option for you, unless obviously you've got a substantial lead and they have yet to really itemize to, you know, stop you from one-shotting. And Lunens is, like we were discussing earlier, you know, versus those comps are, they may not be as, you know, high in health or they may not have tanks. They have a lot of, like, just squishier targets who also deal damage then. Lunens is definitely a really good go-to there. And especially if you're snowballed, you have yet to really itemize an EMR. That magic pin that you're stacking goes a long way. Okay. For your Mythic, would you ever run Everfrost? There are some instances where I have gone Everfrost. It's been typically ones where my opponents are people who just run at me. So it could be like Olaf once his, his ultimate's no longer available. It could be something like Darius. It could even be like things like... It could be Echo, but like... Yeah, it's just those champions that I know their type of approach to the fight isn't too unorthodox like i don't have to worry about dealing with someone who's phasing through terrain you know or things of that sort but um if they're definitely targets or that can be quite vulnerable whenever slowed or just like overall cc then yeah i will definitely uh switch up my ionization a little bit and go everfrost especially if leandrews is just not required for that game okay when it comes to an early buy when would you buy an early lost chapter and when would you kind of prefer a defensive item like uh seeker's arm guard or verdant barrier 
if uh, I'm looking at, let's say, a double AP, so if it's like their mids AP, their jungles AP, I'm more than likely looking for that Verdant Barrier or that early Merc Treads. Uh, it depends on the Merc Treads is very dependent on uh, if they have a lot of CC between the two of them. But if not, in their both AP, I will go Verdant because Verdant is just in a stronger position now ever since its buffs. Uh, definitely Arm Guard in those Assassin uh, matchups, especially if, you know, it's just something like Tristana, Lucian, Zed, where you just know they're really looking for those hard engages onto you. And even better if their jungle is AD as well. This obviously gives you higher survivability in those ganks. If if I'm forced to get an earlier back than that before I have access to Verdant Barrier or, or Arm Guard or even building components to my uh, my lost chapter, then I will definitely just pick up a tier to help stabilize my mana pool because sometimes that, that race against time can be around your mana pool. You may not have the means to continue because you have no means of, tra of trading anymore. And obviously they can take advantage of a low mana opponent. So definitely if I'm forced back way earlier, tier is pretty optimal and it can go a long way because obviously Archangel, a fully stacked Archangel is just quite a good mid game power spike. And so, yeah. Okay. When it comes to boots, um, how do you choose between the, the boots upgrades? Like when you go Sorcerers, when you go Ionian, or even, yeah, like you said, Merc Treads? I could be, so when it comes to Ionians, I usually take those versus like matchups or just compositions where they're typically just operating off of lower cooldowns than me. I know it's going to take more than just a single rotation to really, you know, either just kill them right then and there or, you know, pursue them in the event of that disengage then I will definitely just take the Lucidities because they may possess, you know, either that Conqueror or some healing factor, right? That really makes it quite difficult to just, like, kill them outright. But if I know I have that type of field presence onto them within that single rotation, plus probably, like, one ability, I will definitely just go for that Sorks. Or they, they may be either, like, we may be AP heavy, and so I just need as much pin as I can. So a lot of that damage translates then those are definitely instances where I will go for the Sorks. Obviously, Sorks are also just good for those moments where you're just ahead, because obviously people have yet to itemize you know, any magic resistance. So that flat pin is really just shining at that point, because without that magic resistance, with enough pin, you're damn near just dealing with that true damage. But um, there are some instances where I will go Mercs. So those instances where we're talking about going precision, let me take that tenacity, or even versus like Syndra matchups, or um, mid lane and jungle ap champions merc treads can be quite nice the, that that tenacity can go a long way because your ability to break free of that or you know and also the resistance it survives it provides to absorb some of that damage could be you know the the turning point you need to make that into what a, a favorable play okay do you usually try to upgrade your boots first or do you try to upgrade your mythic first Mm, I'm usually trying to look to upgrade that mythic first, but obviously if it's not a clear-cut path towards that mythic, I will definitely just like sit on a major component of that mythic, like Lost Chapter, for example, and I will complete my boots. Okay, so it's kind of about the pace? Oh, yes. Definitely about the pacing and then just like how, my, how much of your gold are you reallocating? If you're having to invest a lot and let's say, for example, like I need... I want to go Leandre's this game, but I need this arm guard. You're already splitting your economy a lot. And so a lot of times you'll probably just be sitting on your tier one boots and you know you have your lost chapter, you have your arm guard or your verdant barrier. And now you just need to just complete that mythic because completing your boots 
or any other item at that point. It's just further delaying that mythic. And the sooner you get it, the better. You will definitely be able to have more influence on that game with that mythic when it comes to victory. Okay. Awesome. Finally, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the late game. What is Victor's role in the late game? I guess his, his power spike is mostly like in, in the mid game, but yeah, how did you still try to control the game uh, once it reaches late? It's uh, His late game is still quite formidable. Obviously, he likes that scaling factor, but I think he still has his strengths in that late game for sure. At that point, my role in that late game is those huge team fights that we know are up and coming for the major objectives to spawn. Because at that point, you're pretty much either looking at Soul or Elder or Baron. And um, at that point, yeah, I'm really just looking to either create a number advantage prior to that overall event, that team fight starting, which is a lot more possible for you in that late game. But uh, I try and do that around vision. Uh, it's harder for me to do that on Victor without it because uh, your ultimate has this, its design is where if I cast my ultimate, but my target is not in vision, it will not follow them. I would have to manually assign it at that point. But if they are in vision and I cast them, I hit them, it automatically will follow them. I will not have to manually assign it. And just being able to see my target ahead of time is more optimal for me because in the event I don't and, you know, fights start off in the river or in our jungle or in their jungle and they start to, you know, toggle in between and out of brushes, it can cancel your Q because your Q has a cast time. And if your target breaks line of sight as you cast it, it cancels your Q. And you're not having access to that movement speed, that empowered shield, and as well as just not being able to damage them. It could prove quite fatal for you, especially in a late game scenario where people have more than enough damage to definitely answer you. But overall, yeah, in those late game fights, we're definitely just looking for just objective control team fight. And at that point, my main focus is getting those that just multi-man like value ults, multi-man value lasers. A lot of times, like I said, if I'm using my Q or my W, it's I'm either using my W to pill for myself. If I'm collapsed on, I'm using my W to pill for my ADC. They're collapsed on. Uh, and I'm using that Q to reposition myself, never really standing on top of like my other carries. So it's forcing my opponents to choose. And that way I'm not caught up in collateral. There's no wombo onto me. And that frees me up to, like, in essence, also look for access to their back line. But Typically, you know, I'm not going to jump ahead unless I know for sure. I've, I've just gotten that golden opportunity to just really lay down some heavy damage onto their carries. Okay. It's interesting that you say that you're trying not to kind of layer with your AD carries so that, you know, you don't tick or you don't get hit by anything that's targeted at them. How do you, how do you manage that in like a chaotic team fight? Obviously, you have your Q to reposition. Like there's only so, there's only so many safe spots, right? How do you position and like kind of what's your thought process to reposition in a, in a way that you don't get blown up from being out of position? So just definitely a lot of times for fights, sometimes what makes or breaks them is obviously like the fight is a part of it, right? But it's also about how you enter it. So on the approach, in the process of rotating to that fight or setting up for that fight, that's where I'm looking the most for where am I currently and where is my other carry is currently. So starting off in the fight, we're just not already on top of each other. Because in the instance that we are, uh, if that person has the, the, the mindset for it, they could just look for the flash all in. So I'm looking at my approach and how they're approaching the fight. 
as well as in this team fight, what threat am I looking to avoid? Is it the Phil Six Plank on the wall? If so, okay, cool. I won't be on my AD. I won't stand too close to a terrain. Uh, is it a multi-man shockwave or like Nar, Mega Nar or Wukong? Then I'm not jumping ahead of the fight. I'm allowing my frontline, if we do have one, to press forward and get that information onto Wukong before we commit to anything. Because, yeah, what typically happens is, yeah, as you stated, you, there's only so much you can do. And even if you're consciously looking forward in a chaotic team fight, there will always be an instance where you'll probably find yourself on top of your ADC. You might, you might not be looking to just be on top of them, but they may be kiting out their, their opponent and doing whatnot, and they may not be as conscious of your position relative to them uh, as they are you know, to you. So you find yourself comp compensating for that. And obviously, if you have a flash or if you have a stasis, if you have some sort of deterrent, then obviously you, at that point, you would be relying on that to try and nullify, try and just avoid getting caught off guard and in the line of fire in that regard. You know? Yeah. Okay. So other than AD carries not standing on top of you, what do you need your teammates to do for you to be the most effective in a team fight? Yeah, the thing I would say to be the most effective is just like having someone to just like absorb just a little bit of, you know, either damage or just crowd control. Uh, so some sort of frontline, they may not necessarily have to be a tank, but they may be a champion that's capable of just baiting out, like, you know, key abilities and things like that. So that, and then just follow up, because a lot of times in those team fights, Victor is able to get, like, you know, ideal, like, high-value, like, multi-man, like, damage with either his E plus that shockwave and his ultimate, but sometimes he just needs that extra closer. And so as long as there's that, you know, that follow-up, typically it, it does go a long way in those fights. And that's where you're just truly able to like free yourself up to use your kit as you, as you please, so to speak. Because obviously you've had someone to bait out those key abilities that either threaten yourself that allows you to walk more forward, use that cue to reposition more aggressively. And typically during that time, you know, you won't have to worry yourself as much probably about like your, the position of your your ADC because they're not really kiting backwards probably onto you, but kiting forward and looking for their own like path of right of passage into that fight. So that is pretty much what I would be looking for from my team to really just bring out the the, the best in Victor is just that that follow up and just a front line, so to speak, or someone who can fulfill that role. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Finally I wanted to get kind of your high level view on the game. For the starters, just when it comes to communication, how do you communicate with your team? Do you just ping or do you try to type as well? I primarily ping. I find myself on days where I disable my chat entirely for obvious reasons or days in which I don't. The only time I feel, really feel the urge to type to communicate something to my team is if my I feel like my pings aren't getting the message across and I feel like I have to just put it in plain words for them to either be on the same page with me or to get what I'm com get where I'm coming from simply because we may not be respecting whatever it is that is complicating the game for us or what has known to complicate games in the past that people let their guard around let their guard down around can you give some examples of that oh, oh twisted fates approaching level 6 shin having ultimate and botling playing aggressive versus other globals or um with like very little vision or if we're in the mid game, which I feel is the weakest point in solo queue where people aren't actively use, utilizing macro, 
And so we may not be playing for the objective. Our eye will be set on the kills and not the objective. And so I'll probably be shot calling something to, to the extent of like, what is our win con? Like we, we have soul spawn, soul point, or just soul in general spawning in the next minute. So I'll probably say to my team, like, just play for soul here. We don't need to force anything. So we're in a good spot. We have the momentum. We don't need to force onto them. They should need, have the need to force onto us. And which it's a lot of times in that game state is ideal. Because uh, obviously they're they're open up to more mistakes than we than we would be because our hand is enforced, or if for example we actually have a like mid prio because in the in the process of certain teams either rotating for objectives or rotating for kills or committing to a side lane they leave other parts of the map vulnerable, and sometimes that may include a lane priority that may gain us access to their inhib or even better yet their nexus. So sometime I will probably like either pinging or saying to my team, we get we can just we just got mid prior or we just push mid because they either given us a prior and this is favorable for us. Or I may just tell my team push mid because the enemy team might have tempo, they might have control and going through the jungle is just simply ill advised. We have no vision, face checking them is fatal. I'll just say push through the lane. It's the safest bet. At least we can counter, you know, counter react in the event they try something while we're trying to, you know, reestablish that priority mid and use that priority to rotate to neutral objectives. Because that would be a lot safer. So yeah, that would be about the main times. Right. Okay. How do you prevent getting tilted? Oh, you know, I I feel like my my mental is definitely something that's just been cultivated over the years. I I call <laughs> I call it the Akuna Matata mental because. Like at the end of the day, it really is no worries for me. I mean, I love this game, I'm passionate about this game, I'm competitive at this game. I don't want to say, oh yeah, it's just a game. I typically have been like pretty lighthearted as a person. So I mean, a lot of what has been my way of life in real life translates into that game. I generally have been quite uh, positive when I started off playing League. And I just kind of just focus on things I have control of and not try and obsess over things that I don't. Because obviously obsessing over other people's actions or other people's performance or other things that I just simply had no control over, whether it's just ping spiking, I got DC'd, someone else DC'd, someone chose that they just didn't care for the game, and so they're just going to do whatever, and that produced an unfavorable outcome. Those are things I just don't have control over. And so I, I try not to obsess over that type of stuff and have the expectancy that not every game is just going to be as cut dry. There's always going to be like some type of swing variable and I should be ready to anticipate, receive it, and not let it take away from my own performance. Try what I can. If I couldn't get anything there, there's always, you know, tens of thousands of games to come, right? So it doesn't dictate the end of my journey, and I just work from there. I feel like I just have better coping mechanisms for that type of stuff that just helps me deal with situations that would otherwise tilt other players. I'm not saying I never get tilted. Everybody gets tilted. But I think if you just consciously... Think about the thing that's tilting you and why it's tilting you and kind of assess the thought process leading into that. You can better kind of like shift through and manage your emotion. And then, you know, with that little bit of discipline, you can deter yourself from tilting over that type of stuff or just utilizing in-game features like disabling your chat. Because obviously if what people have to say is what's taking away from your mental, then obviously like just tuning it out entirely will keep you away from that, right? Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> cool. What's the, the best way to improve at the game quickly? That varies from person to person. I guess the most simplistic way to improve at the game quickly is exposure. 
just naturally with all things exposure doing things repetitively over a period of time you will naturally improve in so so to speak uh league is not necessarily a game where its learning curve is as forgiving especially if you're planning to compete at this game and reach at much much higher levels than you, the way in which you improve which it's still at that point in time still also varies from person to person because you know some people excel at some things better than others sometimes it just takes a little bit more from you than it would take from the next guy or the next the next woman to you know really improve at something but really being able to just pinpoint things you're do, you've been doing well at or you're excelling at and things you're not doing as well or excelling at and getting you know a third person perspective those type of things taking note of that and kind of nitpicking away at them and seeing how you can finally you know better fine tune yourself and i guess in a sense sharpen your blade would be the best way to improve as far as i'm concerned okay so trying to pick apart basically what what makes you different i suppose yes okay awesome all right i only have one question uh the final question what's the best victor skin oh without a doubt psyops the reason why it's psyops is because the it literally has the modern technology and time on its side right like it's it's made with the with the most recent skin team which is by far the best skin team for the longest time however creator has was and has been the all-time the uh favorite but psyops without a doubt with its you know its modern sfx effects and vfx effects and voice line and all that and it puts it above its uh its competitors but without a doubt it is definitely psyops if psyops wasn't around it would remain creator victor but I got to tilt my hat off to, to the Psyops Victor skin. It's just, it's just too crisp, man. <laughs> awesome. All right. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've definitely learned a lot. So tell me, where can people find out more about you? Oh, yeah. If you're, if you're looking for me, you can definitely find me on my, my stream at twitch.tv Zane underscore Prodigy. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube by simply searching up Zane Prodigy as well. Uh, you can also find me in Summoner School. I do currently do uh, free mentoring slash coaching with Summoner School. They're a very nice subreddit, very free. It's a, a free service. I gladly try and help out those that I can. You can also find me on Twitter as well with you know the, the Zane Prodigy search on, on Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. That concludes this episode of Challenger Insights. If you want to stay up to date with the podcast, be sure to follow us on Twitter or join the Discord. The links for both of these will be in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider sending it to someone who you think would be interested in it as well. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.